today is a very special day. You're mocking me, aren't you? It's as plain as the nose on your face. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today, I'm returning to one of my earliest topics, games. I've always loved games. I said that early on. I say it all the time in the stream. I love playing games. Obviously, I stream video games all of the time. So yes, I love video games for sure. But as I mentioned back in Season 1, my gaming love started with board games, card games, all that sort of thing. So I thought I'd return to that today because I did listen back to that episode and I talked a lot about games. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't rank them. So we're going to give you a ranking of my 10 favorite board games. The ones that I think still hold up. That's going to come at the end of the episode. But before the end of the episode, I'm going to talk to you a little about games in general and talk a little more about where my love came from and why I'm so twisted in liking the kind of games that I like. And when I say twisted, I mean it in the best possible sense. Because I like weird games. I admit it. I like weird games, strange games, hard games. And I like games that not everybody else likes. That's one of the reasons that I wound up playing a lot of games by myself as a kid. Yes, I did. I would play three-person or four-person Monopoly by myself. I'd have a token for four imaginary people, and I would play Monopoly by myself. 100% fair, no cheating, but I'd roll the dice, buy the properties, and just have one of my imaginary people win and the three others lose. That's just the way my mind worked when I was a kid, because not everybody wanted to play Monopoly with me. So I played on my own. Yes, I know. I'm a weird guy. This comes as a surprise to you. But you know what? That brings me to where I want to start. I started loving games. I don't know exactly how or why. Was it playing Go Fish with my aunt? And I talked about this earlier on in season one, so I'm not going to rehash the origins of everything. Although I know I have new listeners, so I'll try to summarize briefly. I know me being brief. I'm the guy you ask what time it is. I tell you how to make a watch. But I'll try to be brief. I've liked games for as long as I can remember. Every kind of game. Card games. I learned solitaire. I learned 50 different ways to play solitaire. I don't remember them all now, but I was always looking for something different just to keep me entertained. But I learned checkers early on. I love checkers. And yes, I did play checkers against myself because I couldn't always get people to play. My brother and sister were younger than me. They weren't always interested. Mom was often busy. And the neighborhood kids, they didn't always want to play checkers. Then I learned how to play chess. Not everybody loves chess. I loved chess. And I would play chess against myself, too. When they finally invented computer chess... Because don't forget, I come from a time, long, long ago, before there was anything like a computerized opponent you could play. One of the gifts that I wanted when I was really young was one of those first computerized chessboards they came out with. It wasn't even a computer. It was just a computer-assisted thing that would help you move... But you could play against the computer. You would move pieces and they would beep on the board. I don't even remember how it worked because I never actually had one. But boy, having some kind of opponent for me when I was a kid, that would have been awesome. As it was, I had to play against myself. A lot of draws in those games. Somehow, I was equally matched with me. I anticipated my every move. Yeah, I could keep going. But suffice it to say that playing chess by yourself, against yourself, not the easiest thing to do. But somewhere along the line, we graduated from chess and checkers to games like Candyland and Shoots and Ladders, which is basically throwing dice and moving along and seeing what happens when you land on a particular square on the board. And I love those games, too. Those were great. 
the randomness of the dice, the randomness of what would happen on the board. Oh, do you get a ladder? Oh, you climb up. Oh, do you get a shoot? Oh, you slide down. Sucks to be you. I loved that stuff. It was great. (laughs) Ha ha, you got the shoot. Oh yeah, I remember. Yay, look at me climbing the ladder. And was there anything worse than hitting that shoot on square number 98? Because the board had 100 squares, the object was to climb the board to get to square 100. But if you happened to land on square 98, there was a shoot that took you down like 17 levels. Oh, it was so aggravating. But I loved that stuff. As I got older, there was also some games that I learned to play by myself. Yes, I had a sad little life. They were the real-time strategy games and some of the sports games. The APBA company, that's A-P-B-A, they put out sports simulation games. And again, this is before computers. Nowadays, if you wanted to play a baseball game, you'd play MLB 17 or whatever it is. Or you'd play Madden 20 or whatever. FIFA. All of those are sports simulation games that are computerized or available on your console. And it's so easy to play a sports game. You can have your own career. You can be a general manager. You can simulate seasons. It's so easy to do. When I was a kid, there was no such thing, but I loved doing that. So these APA games created cards for every player and they had charts with the projected results. And the cards had numbers on them and you would roll dice to come up with a random result based on a player's actual statistics. They did some algorithm at APA headquarters and printed out these cards. And as it turns out, whatever their algorithms were, they accurately simulated the career results for these players. So for instance, if you had Reggie Jackson, who was batting 300 that year, and you played a full season of games using Reggie Jackson as your right fielder, he would hit 300. If you kept track of the stats, the results would come up 300. I don't know how they did it, but they made it work. So yeah, what I would do is I would set up my rosters for all of the teams, and I would play these baseball games, and I would roll my dice and use my charts, and yes, I kept track of stats. I think I still have the full book of stats for the season that I was running. I never completed the season. I mean, can you imagine doing a 162-game season by yourself for all of the teams? But I tried. Months and months and months of recreating baseball games. That's what I was doing. That's how I entertained myself. APA had a football game. Yes, I did a football season too. Again, not a complete season, but I had a good time doing it. In fact, APA had all-star packs of cards with classic players from decades ago. And what I did is I drafted by position and I created my own fantasy league. And that's the season that I was trying to recreate. Not that it was a recreation. I was just trying to play a season with all these players from different eras. Oh, it kept me busy. I had a couple of real-time simulation type games. American Heritage, which was a magazine years and years ago. It was a magazine, but it was a hardcover magazine. I know it sounds weird. My mother collected them, but they also put out board games. And the board games were based on historical scenarios. For instance, one was called Dogfight, and I had that game. And that game, I actually got friends to play with me because it had cool-looking little planes. Those were the tokens, and you'd move your planes around the playing board. And you had to recreate World War I battles using dice and cards. And I don't remember all the mechanics, but I remember it being cool. American Heritage also had a Civil War reenactment game. And again, I don't remember the details of it. I do remember nobody wanted to play the Civil War with me, but I played it myself. Because yes, I was a little nerd. I liked my history and I liked my games. The Civil War fascinated me. I don't know how many times I recreated the Battle of Gettysburg, but I did. 
And again, long before computer games, I had no choice. If I wanted to play a game like that, lay out all the pieces, put the soldiers over here, the horses over there, the cannons over there, roll the dice, and let's see what happens. That's what I did. But don't get me wrong, I didn't play all of the games by myself all of the time. Yes, I played a lot of games by myself. But I did have friends, and I did have family, and we did play a lot of games. When Mom wanted us to keep ourselves busy and it was raining outside, we would go to the basement. Either me and my siblings, or me and my friends, or all of us, we would go play some kind of game. Now, I mentioned chess and checkers already. Those are the classics. Those are like the Hall of Fame games. When you create the Hall of Fame of games, in my opinion, chess and checkers are just automatically in there. They've been around forever. Everybody either knows how to play them or at least is familiar with the game. So chess and checkers don't even go on any top 10 list. They're just given. You know chess and checkers. And I feel the same way about backgammon. I didn't learn backgammon until I got to college, but backgammon during the 80s and the 90s, huge game. Instead of Netflix and chill, it used to be backgammon and chill. If you've never played backgammon, get yourself a set. But backgammon didn't come into the picture until I was in college. Back in grade school, back in high school, we had a bunch of different board games, and I've talked about a few of them in the past. I talked about the TV game shows. I'm trying to remember all of the TV game shows that I grew up with. I'm pretty sure that every single one had a board game. And we had so many of them. Some games you've never heard of. Hollywood Squares, I Guess, The Joker's Wild. I could get my friends to play Joker's Wild. The other two they weren't interested in. Family Feud people liked. Price is Right people liked. Concentration they didn't like so much. Again, it was the puzzle solving. I loved the puzzle solving at the end of Concentration. And Jeopardy. Jeopardy existed when I was young, not the Alex Trebek version. The original host, a guy named Art Fleming. And I remember Jeopardy being the hardest game on TV back then, and the home version of the game, one of the hardest games that you'll play at home. And I think my love for that game came in part because I spent a lot of time reading. If I wasn't playing games by myself, I was reading. And so my head just absorbed all of this information. Whatever I was reading, I would read books, novels. I had a children's encyclopedia. It was entertaining for me to read it, so I read it. Now, it's not like the Encyclopedia Britannica, which you may or may not know what it is in this day and age. You just go to Wikipedia. But when I was a kid, they had the fancy encyclopedia, which was the Encyclopedia Britannica. 26 volumes of very in-depth articles about every piece of information that the publishers thought you should know about. And then they would have a children's encyclopedia put out by other companies that was pretty much the same thing, about a third of the size. And all of the articles in there were written for kids at the kids level. And they made it interesting so that kids would actually read stuff. So I read stuff and I learned stuff. So all of that information was in my head. So when a game like Jeopardy or The Joker's Wild or any quiz type show where they had questions about stuff came up, I was interested. And that was the same thing with board games, too. I mentioned this game in season one. It was a game called Go to the Head of the Class. Go to the Head of the Class was set in a classroom type setting. And I still have one of my versions of Go to the Head of the Class here at the house. So I pulled it out to try to remind myself what the game was like. And as I opened the board, I went, oh, yeah, I remember. Just like Shoots and Ladders, Go to the Head of the Class had 100 squares. Something about the magic number 100. You had to get to square 100 to win. And the board was divided up kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way up through eighth grade. And you had to answer questions to advance. Now, Go to the Head of the Class had been coming out for ages. One of the earliest versions that I got was in a box of auction stuff that my dad picked up. 
I've told you my dad went to auctions. He picked up everything, including old games. So one of the earliest versions of Go to the Head of the Class that we had was the ninth series. I don't know how often they came out, but the ninth series came out in 1957. I know that because I'm holding in my hand the quiz book from the ninth series with the copyright 1957. I also have the 16th series. The quiz book for that one came out in 1970. So I know they didn't do it every year, but they would update the quiz book. And I'm guessing it's because they tried to keep the quizzes relatively current. Just to give you an idea of what the easy questions were, I pulled out the quiz book for the 1957 game Go to the Head of the Class. And I wanted to do that because this is the stuff that I loved. Even if I didn't know the answer, I liked learning the information. And this is why I couldn't get my friends to play games with me, because I was a nerd. I wanted to hear this information. They, for the most part, couldn't care less. But the quizzes on Go to the Head of the Class were divided into the junior quiz, the intermediate quiz, and the senior quiz. And you were supposed to ask the questions based on the person's age. You didn't want to ask the senior quiz questions to your five-year-old niece, because they were supposedly too hard. But as I was going through the 1957 book, the junior quiz is a lot more challenging than you would think it would be, in this day and age anyway. Like, for instance, if a male goat is a billy goat, what is a female goat? Now, as I sit here today, I have no idea. Did I ever know this? I don't know. Do you? It's a nanny goat. I didn't know that. At least it was in 1957. Again, a junior quiz question. Are tigers natives of Asia or Africa? That's a junior quiz question. Now, did I know this when I was a kid? I don't know. Do I know it now? Yes, I know it now. But if I was a junior, 8, 9, 10 years old, it's Asia, by the way. I know you knew that. But I'm just going to pull a couple of random questions for you just to give you a sense of what I loved, why my friends hated me, and the difference in the kind of games that we played. Now, I know this one like the back of my hand, but will you? What is Dagwood's last name? How many of you are saying, who the hell is Dagwood? Dagwood was the husband of Blondie. Blondie was in the comics on Mondays and every day of the week. And Dagwood and Blondie had a whole bunch of movies they made in the 40s and the 50s, all based on the Blondie comic strip. You think the MCU is the first comic universe? No. Blondie had her own little world of movies based on the comics that appeared in the Sunday papers. But anyway, Dagwood's last name is Bumstead. That's a junior question. And here's another junior question for you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't know the answer to this. In what year did the Pilgrims land in America? This is according to go to the head of the class, of course. You can check Wikipedia to see if they're right. 1620. Makes you feel good about yourself now, doesn't it? If you really want to feel bad about yourself, just like I did when I read some of these questions, here's a senior question for you. How many toes are there on a parrot's foot? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what, the, what the hell? Who knows this? The answer is two. Or how about this one? Who wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I know the author's name now that I hear it, Robert Louis Stevenson, but you could have put a gun to my head and I would not have known that. But that was a standard question from the 1957 edition of Go to the Head of the Class. But I loved that stuff. I loved that stuff. My friends hated it, so we didn't play a lot of Go to the Head of the Class. I would get my mom to sit down and play every once in a while, and she knew that stuff. She knew all that stuff. But from Go to the Head of the Class, that's one of the reasons that when Trivial Pursuit came out, I loved Trivial Pursuit. I thought it was awesome. 
Wait, you have to get trivia questions in six different categories, all of which are kind of interesting to me? Sign me up. And Trivial Pursuit isn't as big as it used to be, but boy, again, going back to the 80s, the 90s when it first came out, Trivial Pursuit was huge. Everybody was playing it. Everybody was talking about it. People would have Trivial Pursuit parties. Game Night was always Trivial Pursuit. And Trivial Pursuit spawned a whole bunch of kind of related games. I mean, Pictionary is kind of a spinoff. But Trivial Pursuit was one of the first board games that was not truly a board game, but more of a game where you moved pieces on a board, but all of the action took place off the board, if you know what I mean. You had to answer questions. With Pictionary, you had to draw on a pad. You moved around a board, yeah, but you had to do stuff outside the board in order to further the game. And there's a whole bunch of games like that that have come out since. Advertising, Scattergories, Outburst, Taboo, Songburst. There's a whole bunch of games like that. Great group games that are a lot of fun to play. And we still play Outburst and Taboo at the family gatherings now. Those are both great games. Hold up really well. Now, games that don't hold up so well, we played Twister when we were kids. I'm sure you've seen Twister or heard about Twister. That's the one where you have a plastic mat on the floor and a spinner, and you have to put your left foot on red and your right foot on yellow, and it's a great way to just have a pile of people on the floor. When you're kids, it's great fun because you get to wrestle on the floor and try to get to the colors. When you're at a high school party or sleepover type situation, it's a great kind of game for wrestling on the floor and having a whole pile of bodies, so pretty much the same. But you don't do a lot of Twister... Once you get into your 30s and 40s. At least we don't. We've kind of retired Twister. Jenga's another one. People still play Jenga. I never really got into Jenga. It was okay, but didn't do much for me. Wait, I have to pull hunks of wood out of a tower of hunks of wood? Hmm, okay. I was not a Jenga fan, but I know people are. But what I was a fan of was these top 10 games. These are my top 10. I mentioned at the beginning I was going to give you my top 10 list. These are the games that I grew up playing, that I loved playing. I don't play them all anymore, but I remember them as being great, of having a life that would live on and on and on and on, because we played them on and on and on. We played them for literally decades. And some of the games I passed on to my kids, because, for instance, number 10, Shoots and Ladders. I mentioned that earlier. That was a great game growing up because it was easy to understand, competitive, challenging, and yet not overly competitive and challenging. It was just a good game. I loved Shoots and Ladders as a kid, but it holds up. It's still a fun, simple, enjoyable game. And you know what? If you sat down and said, Gamer Dude, let's play some Shoots and Ladders, I'd sit down and play. The same for the game Sorry, which I also group up with Trouble, which I also group up with Parcheesi. It's all the same game, just different versions of it. Trouble had the Pop-O-Matic dice roller in the middle. Sorry and Parcheesi are basically the same game. Just one has Parker Brothers imprint on it, and one dates back 2,000 years. But those are, again, simple games, a little more complicated than Shoots and Ladders. You get to send somebody back to the beginning, and you have to get to the home base, and it's a good game. Some strategy, but not overly burdensome. Another great little time killer. Same with Yahtzee. I loved Yahtzee. I mentioned Yahtzee the last time we talked about games. Yahtzee was great. You had your little score sheet. You had to fill out all of the categories. You had to get pairs and triples and four of a kind and five of a kind and runs, and it was fun. Plus, you got to shake dice and throw them on the table. (laughs) I loved that. I don't know why. I just loved that. If you've ever played Yahtzee, everybody knows the sound of those dice shaking, and my dad grew to hate it. But Yahtzee was great. All right, number six would be Stratego. 
I mentioned Stratego the last time I talked about games. Stratego is a two-person strategy game. The object is to capture the other team's flag. You have numbered ranks for your players. Each piece can move different amounts of spaces. There's bombs that can blow you up. The strategy is hide your flag so the other guy can't find it before you find his. That was one of the first strategy-type games that I played, and we played that one a lot. That was good. What did I say? That was number six? Sorry, that's number seven. (laughs) That's what happens when I read the list backwards. (laughs) I gotta figure this out. I've only been doing this a while. This is only like the 110th episode, so you gotta give me a little time to figure this out, right? So if Stratego is number seven, number six would be Scrabble. Scrabble is another great game. My mom and I played Scrabble a lot. We loved Scrabble. Trying to get those double word scores, those triple word scores. Using the Q, finding a place to put the Z, and if you could get the X in there, oh, you could get some good points. So we like Scrabble. Number five, The Game of Life. Another Parker Brothers game. It was kind of Monopoly-ish, and I talked about it in the first season, but The Game of Life was a really interesting little game. You could have the option to go to college. You could suddenly have a wife, suddenly have kids. You'd travel in a little vehicle, and every time you got a kid or a wife, you had to put little pegs in your car, and you'd spin the spinner. It didn't have dice. It had a spinner, which made it different. And the object as in life, was to get to the retirement home and have enough money to live comfortably with for the rest of whatever. That was the game of life. And it was, it was fun to play. It's not so much fun in real life. Oh, when do I get to retirement? But we enjoyed playing the game of life. We spent a lot of time with that. All right, I'm not even going to try to count anymore because I've, I've already screwed up the numbers. I don't know if this is five, this is six. Whatever this is, password. Password is on the list. Password is based on a TV game show where the object was to get a word and then you had to get your partner to say the word by giving them a one-word clue. So, for instance, if the word was hot, you wanted your partner to say hot by only giving them a one-word clue. So, depending on your partner, you could give opposite clues like cold and with any sort of luck, they would say hot. But if your partner didn't know you well or had a different mindset, you might say cold and they'd say freezing. And then the other team would get a chance. And the least number of clues it took to get the word, the more points it was worth. We played Password for the holidays, in the summers, with parents, with kids. Everybody knew how to play Password. We loved Password. And we still play Password to this day. All right, looking at the list, I can see there's three left. So I'm pretty sure this is number three on my list. I loved playing Clue. Mrs. Peacock... Professor Plum, Colonel Mustard, Mrs. White. They were all huge characters in my childhood. We loved playing Clue. Mrs. White did it in the conservatory with a lead pipe. No, no. Colonel Mustard in the kitchen with a candlestick. Oh, it was always cool. We had so much fun with Clue. And if you've never played Clue, go get a copy of Clue. It's so much fun. All right, numbers one and two on my list. I flip-flop between them. Because I spent a lot more time playing one than the other. But I enjoyed the other probably more. Although it's really a coin flip. If you ask me tomorrow, I'm going to flip-flop them. But today, for today, number two is Risk. Risk is conquer the world with little tokens and dice. You can play that with two people, three people, six people. You can play with a whole bunch of people and just conquer the world, depending on where you start and how the dice roll out for you. We played Risk for literally years and loved it. Now, Risk has come out in different versions since then. There's a Star Wars Risk and there's a Game of Thrones Risk. There's all kinds of Risks out there. But original Risk was the game. We loved Risk. And you could play that for hours. 
And again, back in the day, instead of sitting at a video game console for two or three hours at a time, you'd sit at the card table in the basement and play a round of Risk. And we loved it. We also loved Monopoly, number one. Just like Risk, Monopoly has lots of different versions now. But the original Monopoly, there was nothing quite as exhilarating as bankrupting all your friends. <laughs> I'm the 1% now. It's interesting what that game taught us, looking back. The object was to own all of the real estate and crush your opponents, who are also your friends. I mean, you don't want to dig too deep on the meanings of Monopoly, but let's just say it was a fun game to play. And I really did enjoy Monopoly. Still do. We don't play Monopoly like I used to. We're more into games like Outburst, Taboo. But you know what? If someone wanted to play Monopoly today, I'd go sit down and play with you. Absolutely. Loved Monopoly. It was great fun. But all of these games were great fun. I loved playing all of the games. Whether it was by myself or with friends or with family, I just loved the challenge of the games. It was entertaining to me. And I still love playing games. Board games, video games, card games. I'm a gamer. I was a gamer before video games. And if the electricity goes out, I'll still be a gamer. There's just something about the friendly competition, the challenge of winning whatever the game is that you're playing, whether it's trying to bankrupt your friends or get a king for your checkers or not have the stack of wood fall down as you pull the little pieces out. I love the challenge. And that's why I've always loved games. As I was putting my notes together for this episode, I was just going through some of the games that I have. God bless my soul, I've collected games. Some really obscure games you've probably never heard of and probably never will after I say their names right now. The Godfather game. It was a board game. Long before it was a video game, there was a board game called The Godfather Game. I have that up in the closet. How about Anti-Monopoly? It was, as you might expect, the opposite of Monopoly. I have a game called Beat the Market. It was a game about buying stocks. And I know I mentioned some other classic games in the first episode that I did on gaming back in Season 1. Billionaire, Money Card. There are so many great games that I have in my collection, and I have loved playing them all of my life. But you know what? Whatever the game is, whether it's a board game, a video game, whatever, there's something about the gaming mentality that has always been in me, and I guess that's why I keep playing games to this day. It's fun, man. It's fun. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for being here. As always, I truly do appreciate the fact that you spend your time here, take the time to listen, and make time to show support. It means the world to me, and I can't thank you enough. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.